This is through the Bible. Dear friend, think about that for a moment. Through the Bible. A lot of us, you know, have lofty ideals. You know, to go through the Bible, to read through the scriptures, to study the word, to gain knowledge. But let us remember that ultimately it's not what you know that matters. The important thing is that each one of us obey the truth. You have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. The wise man is the one who listens to the word as well as obeys the truth. So dear friend, even as we go through the Bible, let's remember that it's not knowledge that makes a difference, but it's how much we take it into our hearts to really follow through with the principles that we hear. This is our prayer. This is my prayer as well, that each one of us would put the truth of God's word into practice. Heavenly Father, as we listen to your word, Lord, I pray that each one of us would be obedient, that we would put into practice the truths that we learn. Thank you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friend, we've been looking and studying the account of how Nicodemus came and met Jesus. Now, you will notice that he had been hiding behind that mask, the ruler of the Jews. Now, notice he will be losing it. Now, turn with me, please, to John chapter 3, and let's read verses 7 and 8. John 3, 7 and 8. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, you can't tell where the wind comes from and you can't tell where it is going. The air currents and the winds are something that man still doesn't control. The wind blows where it wills. We can't detour it and we can't change it. There is an attempt being made to seed down the hurricanes, but... They're not really capable of doing that, to tame the wind as it were. We can't, although we can't control the wind, we surely can tell when it is blowing. You and I can be standing out on the street and you can say to me, the wind is blowing. And I'll answer, how do you know? And you would reply, look at that tree up there, see how the leaves are blowing and notice how the tree is bending. We can tell when the wind is blowing. Now that's not too difficult, I'm sure. The wind bloweth where it listeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Although we don't quite understand it, it illustrates the way one is born of the Spirit. I can't tell you exactly how the Spirit of God operates, but I can surely tell when He is moving in the lives and hearts of His people. That's exactly what our Lord is saying here. Interesting, isn't it? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Rabbi the teacher of teachers, you know, he doesn't go into so much of detail trying to explain the spiritual birth. He uses the example of wind. Isn't that humbling? Our Lord has gotten rid of the two masks of this man, Nicodemus. The man who stands before him is no longer the man of the Pharisees and he is no longer the ruler of the Jews. Then who is he? Let's see what the verse says. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Now he stands there, just 
the plain old man Nicodemus. He's wondering how these things can be and our Lord is going to talk to him very plainly. By the way, you and I can put up our masks before each other and there are many people today who use them. When they are with a certain crowd, they act in a certain way. The mask, friend, hides just what we really are. When we come to the Lord Jesus, we have to take off all our masks. We can't use them there. You have to be the real you. You have to come just as you are. Then Jesus will deal with you that way. And this is the way he will deal with this man, Nicodemus. John 3.10 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Now, that's gentle, gentle satire that our Lord is using here. He is saying to this man, You are a ruler in Israel, and acting as if I were telling you something that couldn't be true, because if it were true, you would have known about it. And then Jesus asks, Don't you know these things, Nicodemus? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, this is verses 11 to 13, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven." He's telling Nicodemus that he hasn't received his witness even as it was spoken to him. Then he goes on to show that there is a tremendous movement which is, which is set forth here in the Gospel of John. I called attention in the introduction to the saying of our Lord in John 16 verse 28. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And now he says, no man hath ascended up to heaven. That is the answer to those today who feel that Elijah and Enoch went to heaven when they were translated. I don't think so because up to this point, the Lord Jesus says that no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. In other words, he's saying that he is the only one who can speak about heaven because he is the only one who has ascended up to heaven. Now, it is true that there are, there are a lot of people who have gone to heaven after Christ. But in the Old Testament, when a saint of God died, one of God's own, he went to a place that is called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Our Lord called it that, remember, in Luke 16, verse 22. It was not until after Christ died and ascended to heaven and led captivity captive that he took those who were in paradise into the presence of God in heaven. Since then, for the child of God, it has always been absent from the body, present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 But when Jesus was here, no other man had ascended to heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, That whosoever believeth, in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When Moses lifted up that brass serpent on a pole because of God's judgment upon the sin of the people, all they had to do for healing was to look to it. As Moses lifted up the serpent, so Christ is going to be lifted up. That serpent, you see, represented the sin of the people. And Christ was made sin for us 
on the cross because he bore our sin there. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now our Lord repeats to Nicodemus probably the most familiar words we have in the Bible. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There are two things that we need to note here. One is that we must, we must be born again. The other is that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Notice the number of must that is here in this chapter. Must be born again, must be lifted up. They are related. It takes the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. He must be lifted up. Since he has been lifted up, since he bore our penalty, the Spirit of God can regenerate us and we must be born again. That is the only way God can receive us. The motivation for all of this is that God so loved the world. God never saved the world by love, which is the mistaken thinking of today. It doesn't say that God's love saved the world because the love of God could never save a sinner. God does not save by love, friends. God saves by grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Now, how does God save? God saves by grace. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, you can write your name in here and I can write mine as well, whoever, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice that with the word believe is the little preposition in which means to believe in Christ. That is, we trust him as the one who bore the penalty for our sins. Now that's a personal thing. We must each believe that he died in our place and in our stead. My friend, you must believe that he died for you. John three seventeen and 18 For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We see here that when Jesus came the first time, he was not a judge. He made that very clear to the man who wanted him to give a judgment between himself and his brother. He said, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Luke twelve fourteen. He didn't come as a judge the first time. He came as a savior. He will come the next time as the judge. But now he says that God didn't send him into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned. Friend, if you don't believe, you are already condemned. Why? Because he hath not believed in this name of the only begotten Son of God. That wonderful name is Jesus. His name is Jesus because he is the Savior of the world. Anyone who will believe in that name is no longer under condemnation but has everlasting life. Remember that he is talking to Nicodemus. A Pharisee. The Pharisees believed that the Messiah, when he came, would be a judge. The Old Testament presented two aspects of the coming of the Messiah. 
One was his coming as a saviour, coming to die, coming to pay a penalty. The other was his coming as the judge. They reasoned that the Messiah would be a judge when he came because the Old Testament presents that aspect. In Psalm 2 verse 9 we read, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Daniel speaks of him as a judge of the whole world. Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. Then Psalm 45 talks about his ruling the world in righteousness and Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 42 speak of his judgments in righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ is making it very clear to Nicodemus that God sent not his son this time to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world in the Greek is cosmos. God's redemptive purpose embraces the entire world. He did not come to condemn or to judge the world, but to save the world. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Those who are not in Christ are already condemned. There are great many people who feel that the world is on trial today. It is not. The world is lost. You and I live in a lost world. And we'll not wait until the final judgment to see that we are lost. Our position is something like a man who is in prison being asked whether or not he will accept a pardon. <laughs> that is the gospel. It is not telling a man that he is on trial. He is already condemned. He is already in prison waiting for execution. But my friend, the gospel tells him a pardon is offered, is offered to him. The point is, will you accept the pardon? How wonderfully clear that is. The gospel is to save those who are already lost and condemned. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. This is verses 19 to 21. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. This is the judgment you see of the world. The day that the world crucified Christ and on that day the world made a decision. It must now be judged by God. The condemnation or the judgment is that light is come into the world. But because men's deeds were habitually evil, they love darkness. Rats always scurry for a dark corner when lights enter a room. Only those who turn to Christ want the light. Notice that in this verse our Lord approaches so many things from the negative point. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Now we hear a lot today of positive thinking. You know, the power of positive thinking. Believe me, friends, there is a lot of power in negative thinking as well and negative speaking. Listen to the other things he said. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then, Son of Man. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 2.17 and then chapter 10, verse 45. 
God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. And he says that everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. In other words, whoever habitually practices what is wrong hates the light. Light and truth are used in the same way. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. Error and darkness are always in contrast to light and truth. This ends his interview with Nicodemus. Well, dear friend, we'll continue and we'll move on to the next section where we read about the testimony of John the Baptist. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Aenon near to Salim, because there was much water there. Notice this phrase, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. At this time, John was still able to preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said. Matthew 3 verse 2. It was after the Lord's temptation that John was cast into prison. The other gospels tells us that. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. This is John chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. This is a very interesting statement. The disciples of John, I would assume, are jealous. They are suggesting that he should not mention the name of Christ. They feel that it would be best if he didn't. And then they imply that he should not have borne witness to him to begin with because all are going to him. Talk about rivalry here. Well, now that is hyperbole, but it reveals they, are, they were jealous and were afraid John was going to lose all his followers. Now this man, John makes it very clear. He makes a very clear statement. There is not a hint of jealous. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. This is verse 27. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. One cannot escape the tremendous force of this, friend. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is actually not in the church. He makes it clear here. He said, He that hath the bride. Now, who is the bride? That is the church. Now, when we say the church, it's talking about the universal body of believers who follow him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Then who is John? He is the friend of the bridegroom. He will be present at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but he is not a part of the church by any means. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets who walks out of the Old Testament onto the pages of the New Testament to announce the coming of the Messiah. He says in verse 65, A man can receive nothing except it be given from heaven. Again and again this truth will come out. Jesus said 
later on in chapter 6 verse 65, No man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. How tremendous these statements are. And then John says that Christ must increase, but that John, he himself, must decrease. His ministry is now coming to an end. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John makes it very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ is superior and he gives them this wonderful testimony concerning the Lord Jesus. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You have it right now. Friend, you couldn't have it any clearer than that. John the Baptist preached the gospel as you can see. He told the message that men are lost without Christ, but they have everlasting life through faith in Christ. What a testimony this man had. What a tremendous witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, dear friend, thank you so much for listening. I do trust that you've learned some important truths from this chapter, especially John chapter 3. And friend, if you are a person who has never had the experience of being born again, well, you must be born again. May God bless you.